0: Thank you all for being here today. Uh, The second part of this new series, a little bit of a different name for a series to call it Re, but Randy shared a lot of uh, different ways that Re is used, a lot of different words uh, that start with Re, and he did a a pretty neat montage there. I'm not going to try to duplicate that. I don't think I could do as good as he did, Uh, but I would encourage you, uh, think about those words uh, that start with Re. Last week, Randy told us that we needed to remember. Uh, that's an important re-word. And he shared a couple of uh, phrases, a couple of things that we need to remember. And that is, uh, the first one would be that that uh, remembering God's faithfulness from the past allows us to trust Him in the present. And he, he gave us some examples, and there's so many wonderful examples of characters and figures in the Bible that just trusted God's faithfulness. and uh, and, it, and it really secured... Uh, it secured their present and so we need that same kind of faithfulness that that God's promises uh, are that he's going to fulfill those and so we need just to expect that the next thing that got a little something going on there the next thing Randy uh, told us a phrase that we can remember is that remembering God's faithfulness in the past directs our actions in the future and and you can only look to the to the humanity the life of Jesus Uh, because of His human faithfulness to God's promise, that, that really didn't secure just His future, but that secured our future. And so it secured our future forever, and everyone else who comes to call on Him. So we need to rely on that. We need to rely on God's faithfulness. And the decisions that you make today, they're going to determine your memories tomorrow. And so that's a prayer that I have, is that the things that I do today will bring about a memory of joy tomorrow and not regret and so through god's faithfulness we can experience that and then finally randy said that we need to tell it to somebody and so when god is faithful in our lives when when his faithfulness comes through when it secures our future when it gives us joy for the things the decisions that we make today we can't keep that to ourselves we need to share that uh, with other people and so i thought that was a wonderful challenge uh, to, to, for Randy to end his, uh, his message I think there's something, a little interference going on there uh, and so we're not supposed to keep that promise to ourselves. we're supposed to share that with other people so last week Randy talked about the word remember this week we're going to talk about what it means to repent another reword what repentance means uh, to us, what it means What the, the results of what repentance brings sorry folks Tell you a little bit about a story, um, my own experiences uh, with repentance. Um, when I used to be an architect, when I worked in a different field, I used to be in charge of about a half a dozen people. And I remember on a particular occasion, um, I wasn't very happy with what about six or eight of them were doing. Uh, they, were in a, they were in the other room and they were talking and yucking it up for about 45 minutes. And uh, we were under a lot of pressure to get a project done. I was worried about billing enough so that they could have their paychecks. And uh, so I I end up walking in the room, and here they are. They're sitting in a circle. They're turning. They're facing each other. They're not working. And, uh, man, I tell you what, I unloaded on them. I mean, I ripped them. I I, I just kind of saw red, and I let them have it. Uh, and uh, I don't remember exactly what I said. It probably wasn't terrible, but I really did, I really did let him have it. I was pretty brutal. And I went back in my office, and I probably slammed the door, and then I sat down at my desk, and uh, then I experienced probably what I, I wouldn't have recognized as this at the time, but a conviction from the Holy Spirit, that what I had done was wrong, that that wasn't the way to handle things. And so I walked back out into the studio and I apologized. And so I walked back into my office and what I didn't know was my, the boss, one of the owners of the company, uh, was in the other room and he heard these exchanges. He heard me uh, tearing them up and then he heard me come back and apologize. And he came into my office and he closed the door and he said, you don't need to apologize to anybody. You don't need to apologize for doing your job. And boy, I tell you what, uh, that, that's, a, that's a kind of an, a good thing to hear, you know, because I, I, I didn't have to let go. I tell you what, I probably lived on the way I'd done before. And, it, and I, what I came to understand was that really was horrible advice. I did need to apologize to him, And so I did need to have a repentant heart about that. And so it didn't do me much service for someone to tell me uh, that I didn't. And so today we're going to talk about this word Repent. What does that mean? The Webster's Dictionary uh, has this definition. To turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. To feel regret or contrition, to change one's mind. There's a Greek word uh, for repentance, and it's metanoia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not a Greek scholar. But the, that term literally translated means a change of mind that leads to changed behavior. And let's keep that in mind as we kind of plow into the verses that I'm going to share with you today. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts, chapter 3. And uh, so we're, we're, we're going to be talking about Peter and John. And uh, so this is what uh, chapter 3, verse 11 says. It says, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade." Now let me preface those verses a little bit. What happened before? And so um, Peter and John had just healed this guy, this this lame guy, that was sitting at a gate to the city into the temple courts called uh, the Beautiful Gate. I've got a photo here, uh, hopefully, of the Beautiful Gate. This is the current location of what's called the Beautiful Gate. And this is a reconstructed uh, version of the Temple Mount Wall because we know that in 70 AD the Romans tore down the, the temple and... They leveled the Temple Mount down to its foundations. And so this was built centuries later on those original foundations. But it's in the same location as the Beautiful Gate. This is the same gate that a lot of people believe that Jesus entered Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. This is where the priest would have entered the Temple Complex. And it's where Jesus is said when he returns is going to enter the city of Jerusalem through the Beautiful Gate. And it's important to note that wall is about a third of the size, a third of the height of the original Temple Mount. And so it's this massive structure. And so the Muslims actually have control of the Temple Mount. And when they were given control of the Temple Mount, you see the gates are sealed. Well, the Muslims sealed it off. I think maybe symbolically to say that that's not going to allow Jesus to, to return to the beautiful gate. We'll see how that plays out. So Peter and John had walked through this gate. There was a guy that was, sta- that was sitting there at the gate. And apparently he'd been there for a long time. He'd begged there every day. And uh, he asked for money from Peter and John. And they, Peter said, we don't have money, but we have something of greater value. And Peter healed this lame guy who had been a cripple his whole life. And so um, they walked on into the temple complex when, they, when Peter and John healed this guy, this guy was jumping up and down. It says he was praising God, and he was literally hanging on Peter and John. And so they walk in into the temple courts, and the people in the temple courts, they recognize this guy that's jumping up and down. They probably walk past him at that gate. They know this guy was born unable to walk, and now they see this guy jumping up and down, hanging all over Peter and John. And so they, they rush to Peter and John to a place... On the temple, courts course, called uh, Solomon's Porch. And so I've got another picture here of, uh, of a model of the temple mount. And if you see, there's a little road in the front that leads up to some steps on the base of the wall. That's said to be the location of the beautiful gate. And if you look uh, farther on, farther away, you'll see kind of a copper-colored roof. That is what people believe uh, was Solomon's Porch. This is actually a model of first century Jerusalem that's in uh, the, uh, the museum in, uh, in Jerusalem. It's the, uh, the Israeli museum. It's an awesome uh, model. It's about as big as a half a football field. But all of this was constructed, this model was constructed based on the writings of Josephus. And a lot of archaeological evidence has uh, pretty much verified that this is probably a pretty accurate depiction of what the temple solomon's temple and the temple mount look like in the first century uh, during the times of jesus and so the people rush to the porch they rush to where peter and john are and then peter seizes the opportunity to preach his second sermon of the day and honestly uh when i share this with you you're going to find out that peter kind of unloads on him a little bit he said this he said fellow israelites why does this surprise you why do you stare at us as if It's by our own power, our own godliness, that this man can walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified Jesus. And you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had already decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy Righteous One and asked that a murderer, Barabbas, be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we witnessed this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man you see, whom you knew uh, was crippled, has been made strong. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has been completely healed so that you can see. He told them they were the ones that turned Jesus over to Pilate. He, he told them that those Jews that were there, they were responsible for, for, be, for the life being beaten out of the Messiah. And, and that he knew that they were the ones that had killed the source of life. The source of life that God raised from the dead that healed this guy. Now that's pretty fearless. That's pretty bold. He, he told them the truth. He told them they were the ones uh, that they weren't responsible for the ones that healed this guy. That Jesus was. And Jesus is the one that they had, had put to death. Peter hit them pretty hard with the truth. And then he did something Pretty amazing. He shows them a way out of their conviction. He said, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what has been foretold through the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. And then he said, Repent, repent, and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and a time of refreshing may come from the Lord, a time of revival they come from the Lord. See, Peter boldly presented the truth to them. He, then he shared an offer of grace. He shared an offer of grace. He never spared the truth. He, he, he never cared much about offending them. He, he never cared much about saying that they were wrong. It didn't bother him to say that. You know, in our world today, I have a lot of colleagues that say, you know, you can't tell people that what they're doing is wrong. We can't do that. That'll offend them. That'll just make them feel bad. Now, the world, we're not supposed to judge the unbelieving world, but we are supposed to keep each other accountable. And so how can someone come to repentance if you don't tell them that what they're doing, or if you don't share with them that what they're doing isn't the plan that God's got for us? And so we have to be willing to be truthful with one another. So and that's what Peter was doing to these guys. These men. I mean, can you imagine what they felt like when Peter was really laying it on them? And Peter was accusing them of murdering the Son of Man. But then he offers them grace. They turned away from Jesus, and now Peter is telling them to turn back. He's telling them, you need to have a change of mind, because repentance is a change of mind. Mm -hmm. Peter laid this guilt trip on them, but he didn't do it to make them feel bad about themselves. Because that's what repentance isn't. Repentance isn't God trying to make us feel like failures. Repentance is not us walking around in kind of this this state of of depression. That's not what repentance is. Repentance isn't us beating ourselves up over our sins. That's not what repentance is. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he told the Corinthians church, he said, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, and that's because he had just admonished them, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrow as God, sorrowful as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Paul was happy. With the Corinthian church. Not because they were feeling beat up. Because of what he had told them. About trying to correct their behavior. But Paul was happy. Because the sorrow that they felt. Led them to turn back to Jesus. Who they had turned away from. Paul mentioned two types of sorrow here. And this is important to point out. He talked about worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow. Is a sorrow that. That's brought about by you. Uh, not liking how sin affects you. Worldly sorrow is, is uh, it's being sorrowful for the inconvenience that your sin causes. You don't like that feeling that you get when you've offended someone. It annoys you. It bugs you. And you want God to take that away from you. And you ask Him to. And sometimes when God doesn't take that away, then you get mad at Him. You're pestered by this inconvenience That that sin has caused in your life. You see, because worldly sorrow is viewing your sin through your own eyes and how it affects you. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, is being sorrowful for how sin affects God. Godly sorrow is not about feeling sorry for yourself about how the sins grieved you, it's feeling sorrowful for the fact that your sins have grieved God. That is godly sorrow. It's viewing your sin through God's eyes and not through your own eyes. Paul said worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to a change of mind. The grief that the Corinthians were feeling led to a change of mind. Just like Peter, Paul laid the truth on him. Paul laid the, proof, the truth on these Corinthians, but he followed it with Grace. He followed Jesus' model by offering the truth and following it with an offer of grace because the Corinthians had started out strong. They had started out strong, but apparently they had started slipping back in to their sinful lives that they had before they came to the foot of the cross, but they had a change of mind that brought about repentance because repentance leads to a change of mind, but repentance should also lead to a change in direction. It should lead to a change of mind, but a change of direction. The prophet Ezekiel said, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord, said, Lord says. Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all of your detestable practices. That, that term metanoia that I told you about before, the Greek word for repentance, something that I ran across was that was actually a military term as well. When a, when a, in the first century, when a Roman a leader, a Roman commander, would yell out metanoia, that meant that the, the troops were to turn around, that they were to make a 180-degree turn. That's our equivalent of saying about face." And so they would turn away from their original direction and turn towards a new destination. And that's what repentance is. It's turning 180 degrees and walking away from where we were headed. And it's not looking back. Because looking back is the same as worldly sorrow. It's always looking forward. And I'm always amazed that God doesn't look in our past. God always looks to our future. Repentance is turning away from lower things so that we can move towards higher things. In the book of Revelation, God talked through the Apostle John and said this. He said this to the church of Ephesus. In one of his letters, he said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Note that God didn't say, I hold your sins against you. What was grieving God wasn't so much their sin, but the fact that they had turned away from the love that they had for him at first. God even acknowledged in in, in his letter before this that all the good stuff that they were doing apparently they weren't afraid to confront false teaching. Apparently uh, they were suffering a lot of hardships enduring a lot of hardships in his name. They were doing good works that pleased God. But they had turned away from a relationship with him and that grieved God. Maybe they weren't forgiving one another. Maybe they weren't making spiritual things a priority in their lives. I don't know exactly what those sins were, but they, they had turned away. They had fallen from a place where they were in perfect relationship with God, and God was calling them to repentance, to turn back to their true identity, to turn back to the loving relationship with, with Him. He was calling them back to a relationship with Him because that's what repentance does. It restores relationships. Repentance restores relationship. You know, there's no better uh, an example in the Bible of a restored relationship than that of the prodigal son. And a lot of us know that story. It's It's a son who goes to his father. He's worked alongside his brother for his father on his farm his entire life. It's a parable. And he goes to his father, and he wants his inheritance now. He doesn't want to wait until his father's gone. He wants it now. He feels entitled to it. And so his father relents and gives him his part of the inheritance. And then he has a change of direction. He turns 180 degrees and he walks away from the love and the support of his father. And he goes and he walks and he comes to the next city and the party starts. And the money's flowing and he has a lot of friends that happens, I think, when, you, when you're living that type of lifestyle. I know back when I, I was kind of a party animal when I was a younger man, and I had kind of two kinds of friends. I had my party friends and my normal friends. And you know what? My party friends, I was the life of the party. They loved me. But you know when the troubles came, they were nowhere to be found. There's a statement that's so much true. There are no friends among thieves. It is so true. It's those true friends that when the troubles came, they were right there. The other guys left me to die. My true friends were with me the whole time. And so, so the friends are there. He's having, it, he's having a great time. He, he's living it up, and guess what? The money runs out. The money runs out. I'm sure at first it doesn't say, but a normal reaction would be that he probably felt sorry for himself. But he had to lower himself to caring for pigs, now, you've got to understand, that's a pretty low spot for a Jewish man. Because pigs are filthy animals. They're not even supposed to be near them. But here he is, he has to care for them. But worse than that, he's jealous of what they have to eat. He's lower than the mud that they're wallowing in. And he had a change of mind. He had a change of mind. He started uh, coming up with a plan. He understood his sin, and I think he hated his sin. And so it it came to a turn. He had a change of mind and then a change of direction because he turned back and he came along the same path that brought him to this misery and he went back towards the father. His destination was different. It was going back to his father. And he knew he didn't deserve this father's forgiveness. But he was going to ask for it and he was going to settle for being a servant. A lowly servant to his father. And then what the story says next is the father was standing at the gate And he saw him coming from afar. And what that tells me is that father never stopped looking at the horizon, waiting for his son to start getting bigger. He never stopped looking. Did that sound like a guy who was holding a grudge for an offense? He had already forgiven him. As a matter of fact, as the story goes, he'd already forgotten about it. Because his father longed to restore that relationship with his son. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't admonish him. He didn't yell at him. He celebrated the fact that he was lost and he was found. That's what repentance does. God longs to see you headed toward him. God's standing at the gate and he's waiting to see you coming toward him. That's a journey. And that's what our mission here is at Journey Church is to help you do just that. To help you move on this simple journey that leads back to the Father. We want to help you change that direction. Help you have that revival. Because folks, I think the world needs revival. I think our church needs revival. I think we as individuals, we need revival. Maybe there's someone out. Maybe you're out there. You need a change of direction. You need to turn away from lower things. And start heading back to higher things. We're in desperate need in our world, in our country, in our culture for an about faith. I think that really happens one person at a time. I know for myself, I've spent a lot, too much time in my adult life uh, walking in the wrong direction. And I needed an about faith. You know, we can do really good things. We can, we can do things that please God and we can be people who feed the poor, we can do all of that good stuff which we should do, but I think we can do all of that and we can still grieve God. When we don't have that complete relationship with Him, because that's what God wants from you. He wants to have a relationship from you and He doesn't want lip service and He doesn't want what's left over. God wants everything from us. God wants us to have a change of mind that leads to a change in direction that leads to a restored relationship with Him. We're about to enter into a time of communion. What a perfect time to come and remember what God has done for us. To remember what Jesus did on that day on that cross and what God did when He raised Him from the dead. What a time to come and remember that. Not just remember that, but celebrate it with a meal together. But it's also a time that we can come to the table and we can offer our repentance. This is a time where we can turn, where we can turn away from the things that have kept us from a relationship with God and turn towards that higher thing. It's a good time to sit in judgment of ourselves as we gather around the table as a church. And that's my prayer for you today, is that as we're taking this meal, my prayer for you is that we we reflect on ourselves, that we reflect not only on what Jesus has done for us, but reflect where we're going, what our direction is. And I pray that you would allow God into your hearts and that you would enter into a deeper relationship with him. And we want to help you do that. Like I said, our mission is to help you move on that journey. And we, we, what we would love to do is pray with you. And I'm going to be up here. I'm going to be up here during communion. I'm going to stand up here uh, during the last song. Randy will be up here as well. I want to invite you all to come up and to pray. I want to invite you. If you've got something that's weighing you down, we'd love to pray with you on that. If you just want to come up and and pray and give praise to God, we'd love to do that too. And if there's more than one, we'll do it in a group huddle. We would love to see you come forward. You know, we're going to talk about how we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about welcoming God as we finish up this service. I welcome you to step forward. And let's petition God together. Maybe you're here and you've not accepted Jesus. Maybe maybe that's you today. It's a good time for you to come up as well. We'd love to walk you through that process because God is calling you. And there really is no reason to wait. It's the beginning of your journey. And we invite you to begin that today. Would you pray with me as we come around the Lord's table supper? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this opportunity to to come into relationship with you. We're amazed that that's what you want from us, that we don't deserve it. Just like the the, the son who didn't deserve his father's forgiveness for how he had offended him so badly. He didn't deserve it, but his father forgave him anyway. And that's a symbolism of you. No matter what our past has been, no matter what we may do in the future, Lord, you forgive us. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Though we don't understand it, we thank you. We ask you for a changed mind, change direction and a restored relationship with you. Lord, it's in your son's holy name that we offer our prayers today. Amen.